invaders podcast i'm your host jeremy jackson with me as always is my co-host james ellison what's up james what's up man how's it going listeners what is going on guys it is the week of uh november 7th i had a look at my watch (laughs) it's the week of november 7th so um if you're listening to this after halloween i hope you guys had a great halloween course you'd be listening to this after halloween i don't know what i'm talking about but i hope you guys had a great spooky season we did um we also have five more episodes out right now five episodes is that right four episodes maybe at the time of this recording um, i'm gonna say we got four so there will be a fifth one coming and then this one but anyways uh today we're doing friday the 13th uh we're gonna keep spooky season going here and um this is this is a um a gem in the slasher universe um and it really was kind of uh (laughs) it was very much modeled after john carpenter's halloween um so it there's a lot of the same beats but i mean it's still really really good movie in its own right uh james upon uh viewing for this what did you think uh what what are your what was your well let's 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 roll that back here because we're going to get into that but (laughs) what were your thoughts pre uh, the podcast, so to speak. What did you? What were What were your thoughts about this movie beforehand? Um, you know, one, it's a classic, and two, um, I don't think I've seen, I hadn't seen this movie until like 2019. So, like, I've I've seen it before the podcast, but it was like a long time since I had actually watched the first installment of this um, massive sequence, and. Uh, I, I, I'll, I'll be honest, like the, the filming choice of, you know, not, not revealing who the killer is, uh, for like 95% of the film was very awesome to me. I, I enjoyed it. Yeah. That. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll get into that. We'll get into some of that for sure. I, uh, I agree with you on that. I like the first, uh, person point of view as far as the killer goes. That was really, really cool. And uh, different, you know, you didn't see that a whole lot back in the day. Yeah, I think the only other film that I can think of off the top of my head is Jaws. Yeah, uh, well, we knew that was a shark. <laughs> right, yeah. Uh, and, and we also know because of limitations to um, uh, practical effects and how expensive it was to build that massive shark that that's why they shot it that way. But eh, we'll leave that for another right. time. Well, let's uh, let's get started. Uh, of course, we're, we're called Box Office Invaders Podcast. We don't always start out with the box office uh, numbers, but uh, we'll start out with there today, and then we'll get into the movie. So, this movie had a budget of five hundred and fifty thousand dollars. So it was a lot like John Carpenter's uh, Halloween, although it had a little bit more money. You know, they started out with three hundred thousand dollars. This one had five hundred and fifty thousand dollars and made. Fifty nine point eight million dollars. So 
This movie was a big, big success. Uh, people were, after seeing uh, John Carver's Halloween, they they really were into the to this these type of movies. I I'd almost compare this to like um, the Conjuring or the the zombie movies that, that of our recent time. You know what I mean? Um, yes. Those movies, especially the Conjuring movies, um, very very low budget. Very big turnaround as far as uh, for starting out, or like uh, Paranormal Activity, for example. Uh, that one, that one, Absolutely. that one cost about ten dollars to make and made, you know, <laughs> millions upon that millions movie, of dollars. I think to this day has the biggest profit margin um, to date. Right. I'm pretty oh sure. yeah, it does for sure. Um, so mm-hmm. I got another thing on the box office here. Uh, there it is. Um, so. Friday the 13th opened theatrically on May 9th, 1980 across the United States. Uh, by the way, guys, this is all, these are all uh, coming from Wikipedia, all these numbers and uh, these articles and stuff like that. So that's where we're getting our info from. So it might not totally be accurate, but we're going with it, okay? Um, uh, yeah, so uh, open theatrically May 9th, 1980 across the United States, ultimately expanding its release to. 1,127 theaters. It earned 5,816, excuse me, $5,816,321 in its opening weekend before finished domestically with $39,754,601 with a total of uh, 14,778,700 admissions. It was the 18th highest grossing film that year, uh, facing uh, competition from other high-profile horror releases such as The Shining, Dressed to Kill, The Fog, and Prom Night. Uh, I've seen all those but Dressed to Kill. I've never seen Dressed to Kill. Have you? I have not, nor have I seen isn't, isn't the, isn't um, the, the original Fog. Isn't there another... Like, did they remake the Fog, or am I thinking of... No, no, no. You're, you're, they did a remake of it. It was not, it was okay. not good. Uh, the original Fog was amazing. Gotcha. But anyways, we we should probably add those. Oh, we will things. for sure. <laughs> uh, every time I try and watch the fog, I fall asleep. So this would be, give me a real good excuse. Uh, nice. <laughs> so this all the worldwide gross for this film was fifty nine million. Uh, so that's you know that's that's where the fifty nine million comes in. Of the seventeen films distributed by Paramount in nineteen eighty, only one, Airplane, returned more profit than Friday the Thirteenth. That's interesting. Friday the 13th was released in, uh, internationally, which was unusual for an independent film with, at the time, no well-recognition or bankable actors. Kevin Bacon doesn't count at this time. Uh, aside from well-known television and movie actress Betsy Palmer, uh, the film would, uh, in approximately $20 million in international box office receipts, not factoring in international sales or, or the crossover film uh, with A Nightmare on Elm Street's Freddy Krueger. The original Friday the 13th is the highest grossing film of the franchise, which is uh, – I believe that. You know, this – to me, this was the borderline best one, uh, but we'll see. Uh, to provide context with the box office gross of films in 2014, the cost of making and promoting Friday the 13th, which includes the $550,000 budget and the $1 million in advertisement, is approximately $4.5 million. With regard to the U.S. box office gross, the film would have made $177.72, excuse me, <laughs> $177.72 million in adjusted 2017 dollars. So if it were released today, it would have made $177 million. Pretty dang good. What do you think, James? Yeah, that's that's impressive. Um, the fact that an independent film with no bankable actors can perform that well internationally 
let alone like domestically as right well. yeah um let's see here yeah so th- there you go with the box office um it's it's pretty neat and they they've done you know in, in the years past they'll they'll film it in different um like here it says Friday the thir- on June, uh, excuse me July 13th 2017 Friday the 13th was screened for the first time in Blairstown's Main Street in the very theater which appears shortly after the opening credits so pretty cool um pretty cool stuff there So James you ready to get into this thing I believe so All right um I took a massive amount of notes for this uh so if this Interesting this- I didn't take nearly as many notes <laughs> because I've seen this movie a lot in the last few well, years. <laughs> well, we'll go. We'll try not to go beat by beat here, but uh, we'll, we'll get to the main topic here. So, um, the film starts out 1958, Camp Crystal Lake. Uh, the campers sitting together in a cabin, singing together. Um, they're singing like um, "Hallelujah" and um, some some weird Christian songs. I, I, is this? Do you think this is a Christian camp? You think that's what this is? So uh, I'm not sure, but that is. Like I didn't write that down, but I did. I did. Um, I did kind of like wonder, like, wait, what kind of camp is this? Right. Yeah. I mean, typically you're singing. Um, not that. Um. Anyways, <laughs> two campers say, "Screw this! Screw these dang songs! Let's play some tonsil hockey." And uh, they head upstairs. They 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 sneak away and head upstairs. And um, we find we first we this is where we first get our. Uh, first POV, if you will, of uh, the killer. Mm-hmm. Uh, the killer w- ha- had been stalking them, watching them go up the steps. And then the killer goes up the steps. And they they kind of like, they didn't really get down to the whole deed. You know, they were just starting to undress there a little bit. And um, you guys can probably hear my dog running in the background. <laughs> Sorry, guys. But uh, so... And the guy gets up first, and he's like, "Oh, hey, oh, sorry, we weren't doing anything. We we're just, we were just wrestling, you know." And uh, <laughs> and uh, they act like they know the person, which is, and well, they don't act like they don't know the person per se. They just, you realize through their facial expressions that this isn't a person that they would think would do this to them. You know what I mean? Right. But uh, the killer's like almost like a familiar, correct? A uh, very uh, welcoming yeah. face, we'll say. But uh, the killer stabs the guy, and we only see the girl, the final moments of the girl, before the title comes in. Boom! Breaks through your window like the Kool Aid Man. Oh yeah! <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh man, that's my favorite. I'm not gonna lie. Like the one thing that I appreciate the most over the um, massive collection of this film is every movie has the same exact logo busting through the glass. yeah yeah it's really you know what it's it's i miss that honestly right like i feel like today's titles they're like two seconds long you know or they're they're yeah. not they're not what they used to be i not that i'm saying we need to go back to that but it was definitely cool for the time um yeah and like sometime during the the I want to say like the beginning of the double odds, uh, early two thousands, a lot of I, movies, they just like, didn't even do a title drop. Like the movie would just open cause you know what you're going to watch or whatever. And that's cool. But like, there's something classic about 
giving me a movie title across the screen. Like, I just like that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I do too. I didn't like the, like, (laughs) in the 19, like, 30s and 40s and stuff, you get the whole, you you get the end credits before the movie begins. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. So I, I didn't, I didn't like that, but you know, anyways, we're getting off topic, but so, um, that we, this cuts to present day, uh, we're going to say 1980, uh, Friday the 13th. Uh, we follow a young adult who is heading to camp. Um, and I wrote, ah, who needs to drive to camp? I'll just walk with no idea how far it actually is. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I mean, like, I respect the fact that she's got like a. 30 or 40 gallon backpack and she's like yeah i'm going to stay at camp and then but like why did you hike r- there? right well i mean like and then she's like she comes up to the dog so naturally she stops to ask a nearby dog he'll know <laughs> hey excuse me can you tell me how far is camp crystal lake is like she reminds me of just a carefree i don't i don't give a crap nobody does any bad in the, in the world uh type of gal and yeah. it's no wonder you know, she's one of the first to die. Spoiler alert. Yeah, spoiler alert. Uh, but yeah, she walks in. She <laughs> she stops and asks directions at a diner. Uh, how how you know how far the camp is from where they're at, and they all stop and just give her this look. Like, are you serious? Oh man. You, Talk about record record stopping moment. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, literally. And then they the one of them says, "Camp Blood." They're opening that place again, and. Um, so uh, there's a truck driver in there, wrecks the truck driver. He decides that he'll give her a ride and immediately ask her if all the girls at camp would look as good as her. <laughs> oh, man. That, I think I put in my notes, cringiest truck driver. <laughs> like, not only were the shots, like, bouncing back and forth too frequently. And, like, I, this is just me being crucial. Like, there's nothing truly wrong with it. But it was just, like, the shots were bouncing back and forth of them staring at each other. Yeah, it was kind of awkward in the ride. Um, but before we... Maybe that was the precedent. You yeah, know? before we get to the ride, we meet Crazy Ralph. You're all doomed. It's got a death curse. Um, yeah. And he's not wrong. <laughs> no. Actually, it might... I wrote down Ralph knows what's Ra- up. Ralph knows what's <laughs> up. So I'm guessing Ralph maybe was had been a part of that camp when it all went down because Rex goes on to say that um uh what did he say? Oh, he asked her um if he if she knew anything about the two kids that were murdered there in 58, mm-hmm. the boy drowning the year before, wink wink nudge nudge. Um and so and she doesn't know anything about it. And so I'm thinking maybe Ralph was there was some other things like the water went bad one year and made everybody sick or something like that. Like it just seemed like yeah. a real cursed place. And uh, so maybe Ralph had been a part of that at one time. And I don't know who. Maybe he even attended, uh, given his age. Right. It would have been roughly 30 years ago. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm saying. That would have probably put him. Maybe he was a counselor. Or maybe he's seen some stuff. Something. And yeah. that stayed with him, and that's why he is the way he is today. I don't know. Um, but uh, after uh, – so 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 Rex and, and Annie head off, and like you said, the staring contest begins. And uh, <laughs> at, then he starts asking her about that stuff, and then he just drops her off near a cemetery. <laughs> a little, uh, little foreshadowing there, huh? I thought that was, a, I thought that was an odd place to uh, – 
I'll drop someone off, but hey, whatever. That's exactly the halfway point. Gotta. Why did he? Why? Yeah, I just say, why did he just take her the whole way? Like I, I, I don't understand. But, um, so then we cut to um the um we cut to Ned and Jack and Marcy. They're in the truck. Their truck. I'm guessing it's Ned's truck. Uh, on their way up, and they're hey, look there. They're driving. <laughs> they're not hitchhiking. They're driving. Um. They arrive, and we meet their boss and owner of the camp, Steve Christie. He asks them to help with a tree stump and calls out our final girl, Alice. We don't realize she's the final girl yet, but she is. Uh, Steve puts in the work basically right away, and uh, he's like, yo, help me with this tree stump. Get over. I know you guys just got here, but put your stuff down. Let's go. Let's go. Hot tip. Let's go. And um, uh, they walk away, and Steve and Alice. It was kind of a weird moment with Steve and Alice there. She was putting up a gutter or something like that, and he asked if she needed some help. And then he like caresses her face a little bit and they talk about a painting that she had done that was of him the night before. So Steve and Alice were already there. They were the first ones there. Steve owns the place. What did you think of that sequence there? Was that, was that kind of, I, I wrote, are Steve and Alice a thing? I think, I think they may have been or, or, or something. Uh, because um, there was like some awkward flirty tension. But also, like, he helped her for, like, a second. And then he's like, all right, I'm going to, like, look at your sketchbook now. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you need help with that? Hang on. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just uh, – what's this? Yeah. What, what? Did, you, did you do right. these? That's, it, like, as an artist, it's, a, it's like a mild pet peeve. It doesn't bother me a whole lot. But sometimes it does, especially when I'm, like, goofing. Yeah. And someone's like, did you make all of these? Like, nope, just, just sitting here. <laughs> nah, bro, I just found them. I just found them. Figured I'd bring them here, sell them. Yeah, man. Uh, anyways, sorry, guys. But uh, So next we meet Bill, who is painting. He's painting like a what, – what is that? It's some kind of tower. I don't know if it's like a lifeguard tower. Not sure. I think it's a lifeguard tower. Um, he probably because it was on the lake. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was right there on the lake. Yeah. But uh, while he's painting, we get the another POV. I, I'm, I'm guessing of the killer. So the killer is at the camp already, right? Or stayed there, or lives there. We don't know. Um, and uh, they talk about how Annie is uh, is missing. Uh, of course, Annie is still on her way to camp. Um, she well, she was going to help in the kitchen, I think, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. She was uh, going to be one of the Yeah. Guys. So, and then Steve's like, okay, you guys are here. I'm heading off in the town. <laughs> See you later. Um, and uh, I, I put this in parentheses, in a Jeep. I'll have a little fun fact about that Jeep here in just a second. And uh, he leaves the rest of the crew there to work. Uh, we see Annie is still trying to make her way to camp. Uh, uh, should have drove, Annie. Should have drove. Uh, and then... <laughs> A Jeep picks her up. Now, did you think this was uh, Steve the first go around? Uh, absolutely, especially the first, the very first time I saw this. Yeah. Movie. So, spoiler alert: we know that that's not G- that's Steve, but um, the it's the same color Jeep. Well, I'd be convinced if it's not the it's same. It's the same exact Jeep. <laughs> that's funny you say that because that uh, there's a little there's a little uh, trivia there. So, um, that's the uh, same Jeep that uh, that Steve is using. They just took the hard top off. And put the soft top on, uh, so it looks a little different. But same, same yeah. Jeep. Um, That's part of that uh, half a million dollar. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Make it only afford one. Yeah, Jeep. yeah. For for reals. <laughs> so if you ever need a bar trivia night, there you go. There's something you could throw out there. 
Uh, we can already tell that the that this is the killer um, that's picking up Annie here, uh, based on uh, uh, what we're seeing because it's first person point of view. Uh, looking at Annie in the first person, uh, they pass the camp, which confirms this. So we see the road that says Camp Crystal Lake this way, and they pass it right on up. And she's like, "Oh, hey, um, isn't that the road to Crystal Lake?" Um, <laughs> Killer says nothing. She's like, "I think we need to stop the truck." Uh, and she, you know, she starts freaking out, and then just jumps out of the truck. Uh, of course, she hurts herself doing this. She's lucky she didn't uh, break a leg, man. Really. Yeah, or her neck. Or her neck, correct. <laughs> she yeah, she landed pretty rough, but she landed in kind of the kind of some brush. So, but anyway, yeah. um, she is then the the jeep stops, and then uh, we see the killer is chasing her through the woods where she is initially killed. Um, so Annie is out of the picture. Next we get um, uh, I want to. Did I say Marcy? Marcy? It's Marcy. I put Marcia. It's Marcy. Marcy, Jack, Ned, Brenda, and Bill, and Alice. Uh, they're setting things up on the beach uh, in Speedos. And uh, if you want, uh, just saying, ladies, if you're a Kevin Costner enthusiast and love Kevin Costner, uh, you can kind of see the outline of um, uh, Kevin Costner Jr. there if you want. <laughs> He's wearing the Speedos <laughs> in all of his glory there. But uh, pure 80s right there. I mean, it. It doesn't get more 80s than that, really. Um, but the killer is, uh, they're, you know, they're kind of having a good time while trying to set things up. And um, they're jumping in the lake, swimming around. The killer is watching them through the woods. So the killer has killed Annie. And I'm guessing that when they say that uh, Annie is missing, she's already dead by then. And the killer is, is back at the camp. The, the, did you come across that same conclusion or what was your thoughts? Yeah, I, I mean, obviously they don't realize she's dead, but they probably thought she just like didn't want to do it or whatever. But I, at this like timeline wise, I'm I'm assuming that the the killer has already um, disposed of and has moved into the camp. Um, I I guess I just made a mistake here. I said Kevin Costner. I meant Kevin Bacon. No, I didn't even catch it. Yeah, so there you go. Sorry about that, guys. Uh, anyways, um, yeah, I'm guessing that I, I don't know. I, I'm guessing that the killer had already killed Annie mm-hmm. and was back at camp. But anyway, the the killer's watching him, and we notice the killer moves some brush out of the way to kind of get a better look. And we notice uh, the killer has a ring that they're wearing there, uh, which which is very interesting. That's not the first time you see that. Um, but Ned is suddenly struggling while swimming and the whole crew, the whole crew goes out to save him. But it, it was a prank by Ned. Of course, this happens time and time again in these movies where they act like they're drowning and they want, what if, what if Kevin Bacon reached in there and tried to kiss him? You know what I mean? Like not, you know, give him out the mouth. Backfired. Backfired big time. (laughs) But, uh, the, the killer watches the whole time. It's funny though, while they're doing all this, Brenda actually notices the killer, but then kind of just plays it off to something else. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, she like spots something, but probably didn't uh, have a good look. So I was like, ah, it's a thing. Like, it could, I mean, we're the only ones out here, right? Like that's the, 
That's kind of how I would have been in that moment. I'm like, yeah, there's no nah, well, <laughs> screw it. We're high. Who cares? Yeah. Right. Uh, but uh, they're all there too. I'm not. Uh, they're not campers. They're counselors. They're going to be counselors mm-hmm. for the campers that's coming in. Uh, just so we know this, but um, there's more trouble when Alice uh, spots a snake. She's in the, one of the cabins. Um, she calls Bill, who uh, has a machete. Um, they try as one would. They, yes, as one would, of course. <laughs> I, I mean, this this camp uh, it had been closed for a long time, so it needed a lot of upkeep. So I mean, it's 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 reasonable that they would have something like that to cut back on some brush and whatever else. So that that that's a I mean I understand that. Um, mm-hmm. They then try to flush the snake out. It's a rat snake, guys. Rat snakes are harmless. Don't kill them. They're 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 good to kill rodents. And you, it's a good thing. You see a rat snake, it, they're big and black and ugly, but let them go. They're fine. They're not gonna hurt you. Um, they try to flush it out and destroy the bed in the process. I mean, they they tore this bed to shreds. <laughs> Actually, in my notes, I put these kids are stupid. Because <laughs> <laughs> he was like, I'll flush it out. And he like dive bombed onto the yeah, bed. Yeah, he macho man Randy Savage with the elbow drop there yeah, on the bed. And then like you see feathers flying up. And I'm like, gosh, guys, oh they tore the God. whole cabin up. Yeah. Uh, Bill cuts the snake up and kills it. Um, then we see a cop come into camp and wants to know what these kids are doing. This cop was pretty... <laughs> He was pretty funny. Like I like mm-hmm. uh, I like when the cop pulls up and Ned is in his Indian outfit and is just making oh my god he's making an absolute fool out of himself. And that kid's that cop's like, listen, I told you to shut up. Don't talk again. Yeah. Um. He calls him Tonto at one point. And I, was like, I don't know if that's okay. It, it's not now, but uh, hey, it's the 1980s. But um, he's uh, the cop is actually there looking for Ralph because he 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 was told that Ralph was coming out that way. Um, and come to find out, Ralph is already there. <laughs> uh, we find him hiding in the pantry when Alice uh, is trying to get things ready for dinner. He's just standing there in the pantry, scares the living uh, bejesus out of her. Mm-hmm. And uh, he scares her and says he's a messenger of God and says that they're all doomed if they stay there. Then he leaves the camp. <laughs> but uh, the music actually was really cool. And uh, I, I, I like the music in this in this film quite a bit. Uh, Harry. Oh, gosh. Man. Fredini. Man, Fredini. I, yeah, I, think you said I that, hope right? I said that right. If I didn't, I do apologize. Mm-hmm. He did a really good job, um, especially um, because I like I like this scene because it's really it's it's really kind of eerie with Ralph mm-hmm. um, because that music, the creepy piano comes on, and uh, it follows. It's like the music is with Ralph, and as he's as he gets on his bike and starts heading out, uh, the music is following him. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's 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 really really cool, uh, and of course we'll talk about the. We'll get into that here in a second, but I wanted to bring that up real quick. Um, and there, uh, the camp apparently has uh, zero power, so Jack, Brenda, and Ned go and turn on the generator, uh, which you know you thought that they had done that before, especially if uh, Steve and Alice were there before. You'd think they'd have the generator yeah, going, right. but apparently not. I think there is some power from the city but it's like unreliable right yeah because they're way out there i mean it's yeah it's very uh rural 20 miles outside town yes there you go perfect <laughs> uh we, we see that a storm's approaching funny thing is uh 
<laughs> so there's uh, in this next scene here, there's a flash. Uh, it's supposed to be lightning. What, yeah. <laughs> it's very, very uh, low budget. What that is, is a flashlight that's flashed on the that's actors. <laughs> hey, whatever. Use your imagination, guys. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so we're going to this next scene. Ned is watching Jack and Mar- uh, Marcy as they flirt around. Um, he's kind of, he, this scene, he looks kind of lonely. Like, you know, he's good friends with them, obviously. But uh, he's like, I don't think he's really like being perverted by watching them or whatever. But I think like, he was like, man, I wish, I wish I had that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He then whistles and heads off in the other direction alone. He walks up to another cabin where he sees a figure kind of lurking in the shadows of the cabin. So this shadow is like at the, at the foot of the cabin there where the front door is there. And if you stop and pause it, you can see who the killer is. Just, uh, just an FYI. Oh, really? Yes, you can. I, uh, I did that a couple times last night. It, it, you, it's, it's a split second, but you can totally see who it is. Mm-hmm. Um, Hmm. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So he goes to investigate and walks into the cabin. This will be the last time we see Ned for a while. Um, Jack and Marcy are talking, and Marcy tells Jack of a reoccurring nightmare she has about a storm. She talks about the rain turning into blood. Um, they then head uh, for a nearby cabin to get out of the storm uh, where they initially get it on. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, that's this 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 scene right here as they're standing outside, Marcy gets real serious and starts talking about this nightmare. And um I kind of think she's borderline psychic because at, at she's talking about the end of the nightmare and how everything just uh, goes black and it's kind of like she's predicting her she's dreaming of her own death essentially. What do you think mm-hmm. about that? Yeah, I found that interesting as well and and the how she seemed to be the only one that was like, at least in that moment, that was like taking something serious. Oh yeah, they were all <laughs> and, partying you up. Know, cause like, yeah, because Jack, Jack was like, "Oh man, crazy dream." Hey, you want to go in this cabin? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you want to go make out? Yeah, but now that you say that, I never thought of it as her predicting her own kind of demise but yeah that does make sense yeah it's just the way she described it and then you find i mean of course we we know that she gets murdered but um it's the way she gets murdered to me significant uh signifies that she's kind of mm-hmm. like dreaming of her own death essentially you know yeah. what I mean? because of the blood raining down it, you know she gets the axe to the face so that blood rains down of her face you know what i mean yeah. True. So and then everything goes black. Um, that's just a little, you know, just a little thought I had while watching. Um, yeah. Alice, Bill, and Brenda and the main cabin hanging out. Uh, and Bill is playing with some mean guitar. He's got some chops. I was like, this is what I said in my notes. Bill's got some chops, damn bro. <laughs> uh, he was he was swooning those girls. Um, yeah. Then it got got kind of boring, and Brenda, you know, because back then, guys, 1980, there was no computer in each cabin, you know, no internet. Mm-mm. This is uh, couldn't Snapchat your friends. No, no phones, no cell phones. <laughs> no so, you know, that's how they. That's how they. This is how they did it back in the day. Um, yeah. Brenda has an idea. She says, "Let's play strip Monopoly and smoke some pot." Cause sure. Classic. Classic. <laughs> um. <laughs> I've ever, I've never actually played Strip Monopoly. I played kind of like a version of Strip 
um, Twister before, but never Strip Monopoly. Nice. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> what were your thoughts on on this this uh, rundown here? Uh, well, that's one way to make Monopoly not boring, right? For sure. And uh, kind of jealous that I've never played that, so that's cool for them. <laughs> right. <Good> for them. <laughs> yes. Uh, no, that was um, that was good though. Uh, I I was trying to figure out if he was actually playing guitar. Like, that's what I like to do in movies because a lot of times actors. Uh, if they can actually play the instrument, they will. Mm-hmm. And then if they don't, um, they won't. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> the way that he was facing away from the camera like that makes me think that he maybe was it. Because a lot of times if they do know how to play, uh, they'll you know show their hands on screen. Yeah, they did that with Back to the Future because Michael J. Fox yeah. was actually playing the guitar. Right. Um, he was not. <laughs> I could I could tell you that that was not him. <laughs> But, uh, yeah. hey, we can dream, can't we? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So after this, we go back to Jack and Marcy who are doing it in the bottom of the uh, bottom bunk of, a, of the bed in the cabin they walked into. We find out this is the same cabin that Ned walked into earlier. Um, mm-hmm. So they're they're about to finish their uh, dirty deed there. And uh, little do they know. The camera pans up to the top bunk, and we see Ned is dead above them uh, with his throat slit. Uh, so, yeah, there's that. <laughs> I mean, that's heavy. That is heavy. And you would think, like, I listen. I, I I'm a true crime fan. I listen to a lot of really good true crime podcasts. I read true crime books. They say that. Um, when there's a dead body, whether it's and, and Ned, I'm guessing when he walked in that cabin was killed pretty much right away. And I'm guessing this sequence of events where Jack and Marcy walk into the cabin and do their thing. But but my thing is, you you would still see Ned at the top on the top bunk, would you not? Oh yeah. Because they would. I, I feel like you. Would. They would walk in and see him right away. Yeah. But or at least feel the presence of something. Like I don't know. I'm weird about that. Um, like uh, whether you're dead or alive, I feel like you can still feel the presence of something. Right. Um, and uh, I mean, they were a little intoxicated. And, oh yeah. You know, distracted by young love. Right. But right. I feel like intuition would kind of step up, but also, it's a, it's a slasher film. Right. So like, yeah. We'll we'll, we'll <laughs> let that to, go. It has to play. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'd also think you'd smell it. You know what I mean? Because he's yeah, he's been if dead. Not right away. Definitely, definitely by the end of whatever that was. You could smell death. I mean, it's 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 not like he's sitting. He's not like he's like started rotting yet necessarily. Mm-hmm. But um, you could smell blood. You know what I mean? Sure. So I would think they would smell that, but whatever they didn't. Whatever. Um, yeah. But yeah. Movie magic. Movie magic, that's right. <laughs> so he's on the top bunk. Ned's dead. Um, I'm assuming we're, we can assume that he was killed when he walked in the cabin because we know the killer was in there. Um, Marcy heads out to the bathroom after they finish, leaving Jack alone because the bathrooms were not in the cabins. They had their own mm-hmm. they had their, they had their own building. So uh, if you've ever been to camp, you know what I'm talking about. Um, Jack lays out in the bed and starts smoking a joint. Then a drop of blood from the top bunk lands on him, and he's like, what the... And then uh, we see that the killer was hiding under the bed the whole time. So, we had, so Jack and Marcy were sandwiched in between the killer and Ned. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
Um, and uh, actually, Jack took a gnarly death. Took a, I'm wanting to say it's an arrow or a. It was an arrow, yeah. So I don't know how you feel about this, but I think that that was the best kill of this film. Oh, dude, it was it was gnarly. Uh, that was that was the the in my opinion the best kill. Yeah, and I I wrote that in my notes. Best <laughs> kill. The best kill of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, I I think so too, and um. It looked painful as hell. <laughs> yeah. Um, at first, there's no blood, and then we see it all come out. But, um, yeah, it's pretty gnarly kill there. So um, mm-hmm. Jack is uh, deceased. And then the killer, I guess, leaves the cabin and then um, starts heading to the, heads to the bathroom where Marcy is um, currently trying to do her thing, clean up or whatever. Um, she's, you know, being kind of playful in the mirror and... Um, the killer had already walked in while she was in the stall and she heard somebody come in, thought it was Jack called out for him. Didn't see anybody. And then that's, that's when she starts playing, you know, I, f- I think she's intimidating or intimidating. She's, um, impersonating an, a, another actress or whatever, but, mm. um, she hears a noise towards the showers and heads to the shower and is, thinking it's either Jack or somebody else. They're playing a trick on her, trying to scare her because the storm's going on outside. It's a nasty storm. So, you know, when I was a kid, we used to, when we had storms, we'd try and scare each other or whatever, whether I had friends over or whether it was me and my brother. That's just a a kid thing. You know what I mean? I don't know. Mm -hmm. I, I I can understand that. But so she goes to investigate, walks to the shower, nobody there. She turns around. And uh, there's the killer, and the killer axes her in the face. <laughs> Ouch. Um, yeah. And um, so she's gone. We head back to the cabin with Brenda and Bill and Alice. The strip monopoly is continuing until Brenda realizes she left the windows in her cabin open. I mean, at this point, it's it's a monsoon. What what difference does it make if you yeah, right. if you head back? But you never actually see her go to the cabin first. She goes to the bathroom and is brushing her teeth. I'm guessing, I'm assuming she went to the cabin and got her stuff and then heads to the bathroom. Uh, yeah, probably. Yeah, so um, so she's there in the bathroom, the same bathroom that Marcy was just killed in. Uh, we cut to Steve at a diner who isn't at the camps. We know he's not the killer. And... Uh, Steve has been out all day long, but he leaves the diner and starts heading back for camp. Uh, Brenda heads into the bathroom and is getting ready for bed. Uh, we see the killer's hand peek out from the shower curtain. This is kind of creepy because I don't think she saw it, but we see it. Um, yeah. Like when she's looking towards the shower, you see that hand come mm-hmm. out of the shower and kind of like pull the curtain back a little bit and then close it back. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, it, it, I don't think it piques her curiosity. She heard something, but she didn't see that, but we did. Uh, she doesn't bite on the sounds and leaves the cabin. Um, we head back to Steve. The Jeep breaks down in the middle of absolute nowhere. Luckily for him, though, there's a cop nearby. So the cop picks him up and starts taking him back into camp. Uh, Brenda is stalked by the killer outside her cabin because we're going back to the first-person point of view here. And um, this was really, really creepy. And I was... As I was watching this late last night, uh, it, it you know this movie hasn't creeped me out in a long time. But you can I have my headphones on. I'm watching it on my on my on my PC here, and 
you can hear like it, it, it's it's in one side of my headphones. Help me, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's really 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 creepy. So Brenda hears that, she ignores it the first time, hears it again, and then instead of putting her raincoat on, she goes out there in her nightgown. <laughs> I mean, like it's monsooning. Yeah. Right. I, I wrote, why didn't you grab your raincoat, Brenda? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, the, so anyway, the voice uh, leads her near the archery. She keeps saying, help me, help me, I'm over here. And um, that's when the lights at the archery blast on, and Brenda is unfortunately the next to die. We don't actually see how she dies, but we do see her body a little bit later on. What did you think of all this here? Um. I you know earlier in the film, I think it was Ned uh, took a shot at her at the archery, and I kind of feel like the killer because the killer had been stalking them at that point may have seen that. And if if that is the case, then I believe the killer to be kind of a a prankster a little bit. Yeah, a la Michael Myers. Um, yeah. Yeah, actually, I did think of Michael Myers in that moment, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, later on, we'll, I'll touch on it again. But there's a couple other moments where I was like, "Yeah, definitely a prankster." Oh yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I I feel like she was drawn to the archery because of that that uh, moment earlier in the film. Yeah, and it's a really it's a really eerie scene because mm-hmm. you see Brenda, of course, you know she's soaked. She basically just hopped in the shower with her clothes on. Like, she's just drenched, and all of a sudden, she's standing in the middle of the archery, like you said, very similar to the beginning, where Ned almost hits her with an arrow. Of course, he Ned's a good shot with the bow and arrow, obviously, but um, those lights just come on. It reminds me of the scene, um, which we'll touch on this when we get to Halloween 2018 eventually, but uh, in Halloween 2018, where Michael Myers um, is stalking um, Cameron and Alice's friend, um, Oh gosh, I'm blanking on his name at the moment. Screaming out to us guys, if you know it. <laughs> They're screaming out to the void. And I can't remember his name right now. It'll come to me. But um, he's walking to that guy's backyard, and the, they have a motion light. It's very similar. It reminded me of that almost. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, that whole scene with Brenda, though that 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 was a very creepy scene for sure. It was a yeah, it was a good scene. Um, so Alice is alone in the main cabin when Bill comes in from checking on the generator. Um, she tells him that she thinks she heard Brenda screaming and that someone has turned on the archery range lights. Imagine that. Okay. You, you guys are the only five to six people in this cab or in this camp, right? This is a pretty large camp mm-hmm. and there's archery lights coming on. Um, you're hearing screaming like <laughs> at that point. Yeah, I'm thinking of of calling somebody, aren't you? Yeah. Um, or just leave. Or just, like, you know what? Like, I just <laughs> I'm here for me, and like I'm out. <laughs> right. Yeah, you're dipping. Um, yeah. So Bill looks out the window and sees that they're off. So they had turned on, I think, to kill Brenda, and then mm-hmm. the killer when she well, I gave it away when they were done, uh, turned them back off. Uh, so he wants to go out and look though, and Alice decides to be smart. Uh, team up with them and they they she wants to go with them so they go out and they 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 check it out they head for Brenda's cabin but no one's there um, Bill calls Alice over uh, to Brenda's bed where there is a bloody axe under the covers 
that's when I freak the F out. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> that's yeah. when I nope the F out of there. Uh, Absolutely. Because that is the killer, like you said, playing some pranks. Um, and that's a sick prank too. Cause that's that, that acts mm-hmm. that, that has, that's Marcy's blood. Uh, yep. Alice and Bill uh, become concerned, which they should be, and are now looking for everyone. They can't find anyone. So the killer has done their deeds and has just like uh, all all slashers coming up and uh, present, like Michael Myers, has hid their victims uh, for. It's kind of like um, like you're going through a haunted house and 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 they're yeah. gonna pop out at you. Um. Uh, they break into the camp office to call the police only to find that the phone lines have all been cut and they cannot call anybody. So this killer is not only, is not only, um, very stealthy, but is also very, very smart. Right. Um, and knows that they can, they can do whatever they want. What did you think about this whole sequence? Um, you know, the, the way the camera kind of like, hands across the excuse me the top of the wall and you see like you you don't know it's a phone cable but you just assume it is mm-hmm. at least like i did and it pans over and it's it's almost predictable but you know you see it and it's cut and you're like oh that was like their one line of defense yeah because <laughs> there was a couple phones there i think yeah yeah, then yeah. she she cut them both or dang it yeah anyway they the killer cut them both <laughs> <laughs> I'm ruining it. Uh, <laughs> I can cut it out. Yeah. Uh, no, leave it there. It's okay. I, li- I like uh, I like screw ups. Um, so yeah, um, Alex suggests that they hike out of camp because they couldn't get the truck to start. So I'm guessing that the killer also um, did something to the truck to hijack it from starting, which is very very you know, smart. I think that too. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if even if it was just like. Disconnecting a battery or draining the gas—I don't know. Yeah, uh, because in the is like the truck just doesn't start because it's raining. Like, come on! I know it was probably a Ford, but like, come on! No, <laughs> it was a Ford. It was a Ford. <laughs> to you, Ford lovers, listen. I love Ford trucks. Uh, I drive a Ford, so that's what makes it even funnier. <laughs> We're not dissing Ford users, so please don't add us, bros. Um, right. But yeah, I, I'm guessing that the killer. Um, did something to sabotage the truck, uh, which is smart. Mm-hmm. Like I said, so that's when Alice is like, "Listen, let's just let's hike out of here. Let's get out of here." Um, and uh, Bill insists that they wait there and thinks that everyone is playing a joke on him. <laughs> I mean, at that point, I'm like, "Bill, you are wrong." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, your head's in the clouds, there, Bill. Like, th- yeah. something is seriously wrong. Like. Why would anybody cut the phone lines? That's that's especially when you're out that far uh, out mm-hmm. in no out of nowhere. You know, it's, it doesn't make sense. But uh, we cut to uh, the cop and Steve. The cop uh, tells Steve about how Ralph came to camp, and then the cop gets another call about another accident and has to drop Steve off before they get to camp. Um, Steve's like, yeah, that's cool. Drop me off here. I mean, it's it's pitch black, <laughs> pouring down the rain, and Steve's yeah. like, yeah, bro, that's a, no big deal, you know. Yeah. Uh, Steve walks the rest of the way. Um, actually, I think it's and it stopped. It had just stopped raining. But yeah. uh, he makes it on yeah, the property. He's, he's calm down. Yeah, he makes it on the property where he's confronted by the killer, 
and is killed. And again, when he confronts the killer, he's like, oh, hey, because the killer shines a flashlight mm-hmm. on him. And how the killer knew, because the, the killer, I'm guessing that while Alice and Bill were searching for people, right after the killer had killed Brenda, that is mm-hmm. when maybe they took off. I don't know how they, I don't, I mean, again, movie magic, but I don't know how they knew yeah. Steve would be heading down that road. Do you know what I'm saying? Does that make any sense? Yeah. So I'm going to lean into the fact that the killer is just like a little bit like Michael Myers, where it's um, intuition or just like, just like that, that pure evil um, aspect. Uh, Cause like you can't be that good. No, I mean, that's (laughs) really good. I mean, they're, it's like, they were standing there waiting on Steve. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, but so Steve, Steve is, Steve's gone. Um, and, uh, that leaves just, uh, Bill and Alice remaining. The killer then cuts off the generator. So the killers killed Steve head back and head back, head heads back into camp and kills the generator, which leaves the whole camp in darkness. Alice and Bill are back in the main cabin. They light some candles and they're just kind of hanging out. Bill goes to check on the generator while Alice, uh, stay, stays behind, um, which is a bad move, Bill. Uh, I think at that point, I just feel like, listen, we just need to stick together. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But then again, you don't know how you're going to react in these situations. But um, always stay together, I wrote. <laughs> um, yes. Alice wakes up from – she had decided to lay down and take a nap. She wakes up, and she kind of wakes up in a panic. She, she, you know, she wakes up and says, Bill! You know, um, and then she's like, "Okay, I gotta shake that off." Um, then she goes into the uh, kitchen and makes us make some coffee, and then realizes that Bill's been gone for probably too long. And um, because he, she's standing there, you know, not much is going on. She's making a coffee. She's standing there. And she gets this kind of off in the distance stare, you know, thousand thousand yard stare. And you know, the, her, we could see the gears turning in her brain. Like Bill's been gone a really long time. You know, maybe I should go check it out. Um, so she does that. She comes to the generator room and, is, uh, she walks in, doesn't see bill and the door, does it open behind her? I can't remember. But anyway, the door opens, bills on the other side impaled. <laughs> He's, he got impaled by a few arrows and a fun fact here. Um, the actor, you can see the actor's eye twitching a lot because the mm. makeup uh, the makeup or how they were using to stage that kill was so painful to him that he couldn't um, he couldn't hardly stand it. That's why his oh. eye was twitching. You could still see his eye twitching in that scene. Interesting. Yeah, pretty cool. Uh, of course, Alice is horrified. Heads back to the cabin and tries to lock herself in. Here's another fun fact: she's she starts piling things in front of the door, right? <laughs> She's freaking out. Oh She's God. freaking out. She's like, I just, I'm just gonna pile things in front of the door and, and hope and pray, you know. Um, mm-hmm. that's not what I would do. I would find a place to hide, and I would, I would, I would, you know, try and hide as best I could. Mm-hmm. But, anyways, um, I will say that was a really good display of what someone probably would would have done. Well, because that that door swung. Open. Yeah, the door swung and open. That's what I was getting ready cabin. to say. The door swung open, yeah. and she's piling and she's things piling in front. Shit in front of the door. And it, it just, like, in my opinion, I feel like that was a conscious decision yeah. to like act that hysterical because like that 
that's probably what someone would do in that situation. Right, yeah, because when you're in a panic like that, you're not thinking rationally. Yeah. No. I will say, the use of, like, tossing the rope over the over the, the beams and then tying it to was the pretty door, smart. That was, that was clutch, because she realized in that moment, the door does swing open. Yeah. Now I'm going to pile a bunch of stuff <laughs> in front of the door, which maybe it was like, this will slow him down. Right, and it would. Also... What if you need to get out now? Right. I mean, I guess you could crawl through a window and maybe there's a back door. Yeah. I don't, I'm not really sure. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I feel like I thought the same thing. You yeah. Did the door swings open, table. you know, Yeah. but that, she, you know, like you said, the rope on the door, that's a smart, that's a yeah. smart play. That's an, that's a Lori Strode play right there. Um, mm-hmm. She grabs a bat and a sharp fork in the kitchen. And then she stands there saying, what am I going to do? And as she's doing that, Brenda's corpse gets thrown through the window. <laughs> yes. Like, yeah, uh, that's pretty freaky, man. And, and it looks like Brenda, we can't, I can't, you can't really tell how she was killed. Um, but she was definitely beat up. She was kind of black and blue in the face. And um, mm-hmm. Alice then sees a Jeep pull up in front of the cabin, uh, thinking it's Steve. She heads out, uh, not only, uh, but only to find Mrs. Voorhees who says that she's a friend of the Christie's. Um, and Mrs. Voorhees has this very welcoming face, somebody you wouldn't think of, right? Um, so Alice tries to tell her about the others being killed, but um, Mrs. Voorhees doesn't seem to believe her and is just trying to calm her down. Uh, they go to the cabin to look, and Mrs. Voorhees finds Brenda's corpse. And this is when things get weird. Um, Mrs. Voorhees is standing there and she, she's going, oh, look at this. She's so young and starts talking about Brenda's corpse and then starts, um, starts saying stuff about, um, her son, Jason and how he drowned. Alice is starting Mm -hmm. to realize that something isn't right and wants to wait on Steve. Mrs. Voorhees like, come with me. And she's like, he's, she's like, Alice is like, no, no, I'm going to wait on Steve. Uh, Mrs. Voorhees says, it isn't necessary. Uh, we know why. And then she um, she's standing there, and she's looking out thousand-yard stairs. She's seeing visions of Jason drowning. So we, we, we all know what's going on now, I think, don't we? So Mrs. Voorhees is cocoa for cuckoo pup. Cocoa for Cocoa Puffs. <laughs> However it goes. She's she's a Looney Tune. She's seeing yeah. visions of her son, which clearly mm-hmm. just destroyed her. And she is the killer. What were your uh, what were your thoughts on uh, this whole sequence of events here? It was intense, uh, truthfully. Um and in in reality, she's probably haunted. By the fact that you know she couldn't do anything to save her son when he you know drowned in fifty seven and then blames the the counselors and all that fun stuff and um I think that I mean this is a very extreme way of doing it, but like she wants to prevent the camp from opening again because you know she doesn't want someone else's kid to die, which yeah. She just like killed everyone else's kid, but whatever. Yeah, it makes sense because it make it yeah, makes it, sense. It, 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 it checks. Yeah, it makes sense why she killed the two counselors in fifty eight. Yeah, it makes sense yeah. because Jason died the year before that. It makes sense why yeah. the water was bad. She she was sabotaging this this whole thing, uh-huh. and then and then when she just lost. Yeah, then she was just like, look, I can't take this freaking crap anymore. Like, I'm just gonna start mm-hmm. killing you guys. That'll teach you. I'm nuts, yeah. anyways. 
It's a huge uh, twist, honestly. It really is. The first first time I ever saw this movie, I hadn't realized that the the original Friday the Thirteenth had nothing to do. Well, I don't want to say nothing, but like the killer wasn't who you think it is. No, um, I mean he, the whole time, like in Scream, the first Scream in nineteen ninety six. You know the mm-hmm. the beginning of the sequence there. You know. Who's the killer in Friday the 13th? It's Jason. Jason. Wrong. You know, Jason doesn't appear until the sequel. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's 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 everybody's first thought uh, is of Jason Voorhees. Wrong. Yeah. It's Mrs. Voorhees was the original killer. Great twist. Nobody saw that coming. No. Um, you couldn't do that nowadays because people predict that stuff. Right. But um, she explains anyway, going back to the movie, she explains that she couldn't let them open up camp again and blames Alice for letting Jason drown. Um, she then starts attacking Alice. Um, Alice uh, gets the upper hand on Mrs. Voorhees and heads outside. Um, she starts discovering the bodies of everyone else. <laughs> Um, this yeah, is, this is when the prankster comes. Yeah, in. the the fun. Or actually, I like what you said earlier better. Um, a haunted house. Yeah, I never thought of it like that before. Yeah, it's she set up a ha- a real life haunted house. Uh, yeah. she starts discovering all the bodies. Very similar to Laurie Strode, um, in Halloween, where she is she's come she's come across her friends, uh, their corpse and all that mm. stuff. Uh, Mrs. I wrote Mrs. Voorhees is a little effing crazy. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, Mrs. Voorhees uh, heads back to the generator uh, room to turn it back on. Um, Alice grabs a gun, but it's no use. Mrs. Voorhees finds her, takes the gun, and begins beating Alice. She actually is hitting uh, the actress. I forget the actress's name. We'll get to that here in a second. Yeah. Um, I read that, too. I read that same thing. Uh, it was in one of the articles. Yeah. They, that uh, she actually hits her. Yeah. <laughs> I guess the... Uh, was it the director or somebody was like, no, you can't do yes. that. Yes. Sean Cunningham uh, said, listen, you can't really hit her. Um, but yeah, they, she, I mean, Mrs. Voorhees is just slapping her silly, dude. Yeah. Um, I wrote in my notes. I don't remember where, when this happened. It might've been in the pantry, but um, uh, Alice uh, hits um, Mrs. Voorhees in between the legs. And I just wrote, Coot Yes. Ouch. <laughs> like, it's right in the cooch. Yeah. I mean, Alice gets the upper hand on Mrs. Voorhees several times and really could have ended this yeah. a long time ago, but no. She she gets it she gets the upper hand again and just runs off. And yeah. um, Mrs. Mrs. Voorhees obviously follows her. Alice tricks her mm-hmm. and hides. Um but I wrote, Why why did she go back into the damn cabin? <laughs> Right. She immediately went into the cabin where this all started. Um, mm-hmm. Mrs. Voorhees also heads in the cabin looking for Alice, but Alice is hiding in the pantry. Mrs. Voorhees obviously knew this, and uh, she was in there. But she tricks her, walks out the door, and then um, see, sneaks back into the cabin. And then you see, like, as Alice is kind of like, she heard Mrs. Voorhees leave. As you see Alice sitting there, kind of like calming down for a minute, taking a deep breath. Um the door handle starts turning. So Mrs. Voorhees knew she was there the whole time, starts trying to beat the door down, gets in. She gives this really creepy look. And this reminded me of the closet scene in um, uh, John Carpenter's Halloween 78, where Michael oh, Myers is... see, I thought of The Shining. Boy, very similar to that, too, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. she gives this real, like, 
sinister look like really did you really think you were going to get away from me <laughs> right. type type deal and um uh let's see where was i oh yeah she, started being under- she tries to kill alice with a machete but alice hits her and knocks her out alice with a it's a cast iron skull. yes in my notes i wrote she Venus Williams, her ass. She really did. She hit her hard, dude. Um, hits her with a machete, knocks her out. Alice then heads out to the dock and sits. <laughs> like, what? Yeah. She just goes out to the dock and, and sits there. <laughs> okay, she's not dead, Alice. Right. You got to double tap. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like seriously, sure. make her life hard. Cut off her hand or something if you don't want to. You know what I mean? Make it hard for her. No, she yeah. just goes out to the dock and sits. Uh, Mrs. Voorhees finds her again and starts trying to kill her again. The two of them struggle, beating and biting each other. This is a nasty fight, man. Um, mm-hmm. Alice finds the machete and then chops off the head of Mrs. Voorhees. Um, yeah, and then I like uh, as the head is being lobbed off. If you look at it real close, you can see the toothpicks where the fake head was. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. <laughs> and then also, when your head is chopped off, you're not going to squeeze your hands together <laughs> because right, yeah. your brain isn't there anymore controlling that. Yeah. It's gone. Yeah. Just fun, that's fun stuff funny. right there. But uh, Alice gets into the boat and heads out on the lake. I thought that was a very odd thing to do, too. Maybe she just wanted to get away from all the carnage. Maybe, uh, and she just wants to be out in the middle of the lake. And she, so she passes out. We find Alice the next morning in the boat. We see the cops come up. And this, I love the music here. It's real. I'm glad you said that. I, rem- I really am. Because I wrote in my notes, the lake song is a bop. It's, oh, it's awesome, dude. It's so, <laughs> it's so serene and dreamy and pretty. And it, it yeah. just makes you think, okay, this is over. Like, the nightmare is over. Alice is fine. Um. It reminds me of Carrie almost. You remember at the, the end of Carrie, where um, the the girl's walking up to her grave, and it's it's just a real serene, like beautiful, dreamy music, and it's real peaceful. And then Carrie's, you know, it, this is very similar. But anyways, um, the cops show up, at, and Alice is seeing that they are trying to get her to come to shore, but then. A zombie-looking boy jumps dun, out dun, of the water. Yeah, he jumps out of the water <laughs> and takes her under. Very, very scary. Uh, oh, yeah. It's it's a very frightening scene because you're not expecting that at all. No. Um, she wakes up in the hospital um, where they um, they they give her some kind of sedative or something, and the cop mm-hmm. asks her, or she asks the cop, are, are, "Are they all dead?" And he was like, "I'm afraid so." And she was like, "What about the boy?" And the cop doesn't know what she's talking about and says they didn't find any boy. And uh, then she says that he's still there. He's still out there. Very creepy way to end the film. We cut back to the camp at the yeah. lake and then the, the film is over. So um, what were your thoughts on the ending of this movie? Oof, there's a lot to unpack. Um, I feel like we could go on and on and there's probably articles written about how people interpret the ending and like why he came out from the lake and blah, blah, blah. My personal opinion is I think that when he died, like his, like the, the torment of a young child's, you know, energy that was possessed into his mom. That's why she became the monster she did. And then I feel when she died, 
that just transferred back into him mm-hmm. and it woke him up from the lake. That's what I personally believe. <laughs> that's a good theory. Um, yeah. Uh, and, and, and then that's what's like kickstart. Cause like he, he, there's movies where he dies, but like he never truly dies, you know? So like, I feel like he's just at this point becomes like Michael Myers where he's like undying. But, um, uh, that like there's that part and then <laughs> when she's just like staring off into space though and she's like what about the boy yeah i just i feel so bad for her because she's like she's seen it all she, and they're just like they're gaslighting her not on purpose but just like nah there's no boy yeah no what are you talking about <laughs> ain't no boy she's like i was drunk into the water right. you didn't see that boy <laughs> yeah. uh so then they just like give her a shot <laughs> Like, yeah, right. <laughs> I forgot to mention this too, but um, so as um, this is where he's is kind of chasing cat mousing with Alice, she stops and says, "Kill her, kill her, mommy." I mean, she's mm-hmm. she. It's a, t- a completely different voice and everything. Yeah. So Mrs. Voorhees, um, I think, is a schizophrenic. Like, she thinks she's taking on the her mm-hmm. her her son in a way. So I wonder if like that has uh, I don't know like maybe that's I don't, maybe that's when she died his, his essence maybe possessed. went back into his body mm-hmm. type of deal yeah it's yeah. just a theory just a theory we got don't don't yeah. add us bros Fun theory. Oh, yeah yeah don't add us yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um this is the part of the film or the film of the podcast where we give our galactic star ratings. And um, I have rated almost every movie that we've <laughs> we've done a four or higher. <laughs> so this is the yeah. first one that didn't get uh, that higher rating. I got I got it at three out of five stars, and um, just because they the, they took a lot of inspiration from um, John Carpenter's Halloween in '78. There really was no originality with this because you had mm-hmm. to me. I saw inspirations from that movie. I saw inspiration from Carrie. Um, so there was no originality with that. And so for me, it regardless, even if this was the only um, film in the whole series, like this was it, it would still be I would still hold it up there with Halloween. Like I liked it that much, mm-hmm. but it's just not uh, it's not original. You know what I mean? Yeah. So in that in that regard, I give it a three out of five stars. What do you got? You know, I'm I'm right there with you. I think I'm gonna do. Uh, I'll you know a three three is good. Um, I was thinking like a two point five or like a three, <laughs> just because and and like so the things that make it a good film is the twist, and I'm sure like of the time that was a really good twist. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of like, you know, cheesy. It is it is a campy slasher film and i can't ignore that um but it there is like so much evidence that it was you know draw almost drawing too much inspiration from other films Mm -hmm. like if you go through here on wikipedia like in the music section it talks about how um harry manfredini he he took a lot of inspiration. It, it even uses the words borrows from mm-hmm. Jaws mm-hmm. Uh, with like the music motif or how he, you know, a lot of it with the, the kill, kill, kill. Yeah. Like that, like that's really clever, but also, you know, it's kind of been done and 
I don't know. I do like it. Don't get me wrong. I, I don't think it's the best Friday the 13th film. Um, but if it was the only one we ever had, I would maybe, maybe give it a little bit of a higher, but I'm, I'm going to stick with two points. Yeah. But- just because, um, it does have a lot of similarities, like you said. And, uh, it's just like, I don't know. Despite having like one of the best kill scenes yeah. <laughs> in, the, in the saga, I do like that arrow to the throat. <laughs> That's awesome. That's another thing that that I, really kind of did it in for me a little bit. The acting was terrible. I mean, the acting wasn't great at all. Yeah, and like you gotta. That, but sometimes that's like the beauty of it too. Like, yeah, it's just like a lot of times. I don't know if it's everyone because I I actually haven't watched all of the Friday Thirteenth movies. I do have them. I bought like the box set, and I last year. During October, I was mowing through them, and um, Michelle and I had made it to, I think, part five. And then she was kind of like, yeah, these are all the same. I'm like, yeah, I know. And, like, they really are. <laughs> it's the same recipe over and over again. It is. Uh, and at that point, you're watching it because you just like to watch people die, I guess. Pretty much. <laughs> it's honestly, for me, and I, maybe I'm demented, but it's – it's a comforting movie. They're comforting movies to watch if I'm tired and I just want to flip something on mm. to fall asleep to. <laughs> Cause it's, I mean, you know, you, you said you watched it with headphones, which I haven't done yet. And I kind of want to try that. I almost did last night. I was watching it on, um, my big screen behind me and I have a Bose soundbar mm-hmm. and the subwoofer combo and it. It's really good combo, but like sometimes, you just can't beat that headphone experience. No, I um, recommend it, guys. Seriously, this yeah. this movie has never been more creepy to me than 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 it was last night. Of course, I was watching it late at night. I had mm-hmm. my uh, headphones on. I got Dolby uh, sound in my headphones, so it's you can hear nice. you can hear every little thing, and um, especially that part where Brenda is um, in her cabin and you hear that voice, "Help me!" I mean, it's really, really, really creepy. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so I mean, it, it's it's an experience. Uh, I actually enjoyed it. That's probably the best. Um, I've seen this movie, you know, <laughs> several several times, but that's the best. Um, t- that's the best one that I've watched. I guess that's, that's the right way to say it. Um, yeah, like the the best experience the be- you've had. Right. Thank you. Yeah. Best experience I've had with that. So um, I recommend it. Uh, if you get if you yeah. have the capability to do it, guys, do it. Um, so we're going to get on to the – since we were talking about the score, we're going to get on to the music section here and talk about mm-hmm. that. Like I said, all of our um, all of our notes here uh, come from Wikipedia. If you guys want to check that out, you can read it for yourself there as well. Um, when Harry Manfredini – I like how you said that – began working on the musical score, the decision was made to only play music when the killer was actually present so as to not manipulate the audience. So that's not true. Actually, uh, that's actually false because they played uh, music when uh, Ralph was in town mm-hmm. or was in camp. Remember that? The killer wasn't there at the time. Yeah. At least we don't think they were. Uh, Manfred- yeah, I don't think they were. Nope. Manfredini pointed out the lack of music for certain scenes. There was a scene where one of the girls, uh, this is what Manfredini says, is up to the archery range. One of the guys shoots an arrow into the target and just misses her. It's a huge scare, but if you notice, there's no music. That's a choice, Manfredini said. Uh, he also noted that when something was going to happen, the music would cut off, so that the audience would relax a bit, and the scare would be that much more effective. That's pretty smart, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, because the killer, Mrs. Voorhees, appears on screen only during the final scenes of the film, 
Uh, Manfredini had the job of creating a score that would represent the killer in her absence. Manfredini borrows from the 1975 film Jaws, like you talked about there, James, where the shark is likewise not for not seen for the majority of the film, but the motif created by John Williams cued the audience to the shark's invisible menace, which really, really worked. Um, Sean S. Cunningham sought a chorus, but the budget would not allow it. I'm glad they didn't do that. While listening to, oh my gosh, while listening to Christophe uh, Pendricki, a piece of music which contained a chorus with striking pronunciations, Manfredini was inspired to recreate a similar word. He came up with a sound from the uh, final reel when Mrs. Voorhees arrives and is reciting, kill her, mommy, kill her. Uh, the k- comes from kill and the m- comes from mama, mommy. To achieve the unique sound he wanted for the film, Manfredini spoke the two words harshly, uh, distinctively, and rhythmically into a microphone and ran them into an echo uh, uh, reverberation machine. Manfredini finished this score after a couple of weeks and then recorded the score in a friend's basement. Funny. I love that. I know. <laughs> uh, Victor Miller and assistant editor Jay Cooper uh, uh, have commented on how uh, m- uh, memorable the music is, with Cooper uh, describing it as I- uh, iconic. Um, Manfredini says, everybody thinks it's cha-cha-cha-cha. I'm like, cha-cha-cha, what are you talking about? Um, <laughs> in 1982, Grandma Vision Records released an LP record of selected pieces of Manfredini's scores for the first three Friday the 13th films. Yeah, he went on to score the next three. Um, on nice. uh, January 13th, 2012, La La Land Records released a limited edition six-CD box set containing Manfredini scores for the first... Okay, he did his first six, six, six films. My bad. Um, it sold out in less than 24 hours. That's crazy sauce. That's wild. Yeah. So, do um, you have anything else you want to add to the music section? I don't think so. I, I do... I really appreciate the uh, just weird sound effects and like almost like strings. It reminded me of Halloween, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, for sure. Like it's that yeah. that you know the k- 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 I mean, that's that's very iconic. You know, it's 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 yes. just as iconic yeah. as um dun 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 dun. dun, dun. Yeah, it's yeah. very iconic. Um, so let's head into the cast here, and uh, this was the cast uh, Friday the Thirteenth. We had Betsy Palmer, who was she was a well known actress uh, for her time uh, as Mrs. Voorhees, and and funny thing is, she's only in the film for the last few scenes. Um, oh man, Ardreni, Adreni, I I don't know, Adreni King is Alice. Alice was okay. I thought they, I I thought they could have got a better final girl than 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 uh, King, but we got what we got. Um, Harry Crosby as Bill, uh, Janine Taylor as Marcy, Lori uh Bartram as Brenda, Kevin Bacon as Jack. This is kind of funny because. You got the first Friday the 13th had Kevin Bacon, who went on to be a ginormous movie star. Um, mm-hmm. The the first Nightmare on Elm Street had Johnny Depp, who, of course, we oh, also... I didn't yeah, know. so we also know... See, I haven't seen the first uh, Nightmare on Elm Street in either A, such a long time, or B, I've never seen it, and I've only seen like the remake. Yeah, oh, the remake's terrible. Yucky, yeah. yucky, yucky. <laughs> uh, we had Mark Nelson as Ned, Robbie Morgan as Annie, Peter uh, Bro Brower as Steve Christie, uh, Rex Everhart as the truck driver. So Rex played himself. Um, nice. Yes. Uh, Roan Carroll as Sergeant uh, Turney, 
uh, Ron Carroll, excuse me. He was the guy that picked up Steve Christie, and he was the he was the one that was um, standing over the hospital Not bed. The motorcycle guy. No. Um, yeah. I, I don't have a name for that one. Um, we had, yeah, he's not showing up on the list. No, we had Walt uh, Gorney as Crazy Ralph. He would reappear in the sequel as well as Crazy Ralph. Uh, I don't think the third one, though. Willie Adams. No, but he, it shows he was in uh, part seven, New Blood. Really? As the narrator. Walt, Walt Gorney? Mm-hmm. That's what it shows right here. If you hover over his name, huh. it shows a little bio. Interesting. Returned to the series in part seven as uh, the narrator. Hmm, I didn't know that. Uh, Willie Willie Adams as Barry. Um, Deborah S. Hayes as uh, 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 Claudette. Uh, Claudette, thank you. Uh, Sally Annie Golden as Sandy. And Ari Lehman as Jason. So he was the first Jason. Uh, which was, you know, it was just a kid jumping out of the boat, but, or jumping <laughs> out of the, the lake. But, um, so there's your cast. As far as the casting goes, um, let's see here. A New York based film, uh, excuse me, a New York based firm headed by Julie Hughes and Barry Moss was hired to find eight young actors to play the camp stamp, uh, camps staff members. Cunningham admits that he was not looking for great actors, but in, he got it. yeah, that's what he got. But anyone that was likable, they were likable. I didn't hate them. That's fair. Um, yeah. And appeared to be a reasonable, uh, responsible camp counselor, which they did. I noticed that they were all willing to help each other. They were all very likable. Um, so yeah, I, I he did a good job there. The way Cunningham saw it, the actors would need to look good, read the dialogue somewhat well, and work cheap. Moss and Hughes are very happy to find four actors, Kevin Bacon, Laurie Bartram, Peter Brower, and um, Ardrine King, who had previously appeared on soap operas. The role of Alice Hardy was set up as an open casting call, a publicity stunt used to attract more attention to the film. Um, The producers originally wanted Sally Field for the role of Alice. Can you imagine that? Sally Field, that's crazy. That would be a huge get. Um, but realized that they could not afford it. (laughs) According to uh, King, originally the producers were looking hard for uh, a name actress to play Alice. They finally realized that even if they could find somebody um, like that, who, who, who they were willing, that was willing to do it, um, they wouldn't be able to afford her. So they decided to go with Newtown instead, which was, that was smart. Um, King earned an audition primarily because she was uh, the friend of someone working in Moss and Hughes' office, and Cunningham felt she embodied the qualities of Alice. Um, after she auditioned, Moss recalls Cunningham commenting that they saved the best actress for last. Oh, come on, give me a break. As Alice, <laughs> as, excuse me, as Cunningham explains, he was looking for people that could behave naturally, and King was able to show that to him in the audition. So. <sighs> Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I, they were. They were. They were okay. They were likable. Yes, they weren't good actors. This was Kevin Bacon. Like, of course, they were all soap opera stars. They all looked like. I read yeah. a quote somewhere. They all. He wanted everybody to look like they could be in a Pepsi commercial. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, they they succeeded. A lot. They really did. Yeah, they really did. Uh, <laughs> funny, the part of Bill was given to Harry Crosby, who was the son of Bing Crosby. How about that? Uh, Robbie Morgan, who played Annie, was not uh, auditioning for the film when she was offered the role while in her office. 
while in her office, Hughes looked at Morgan and proclaimed, you're a camp counselor. So Robbie Morgan, who played Annie, didn't even have to audition. <laughs> she just got the job because she was in the right place at the right time. Um, nice. The next day, Morgan was on set. Morgan only appeared on, on set for a day to shoot all her scenes, which makes total sense. Rex Everhart, who plays, oh, says Enos. It says Rex in the film, but did not film the truck scenes with Morgan. Oh. She had to either act with an imaginary Enos or exchange dialogue. Oh, so there you go. So th- that's why that scene was so cringy. Yes. <laughs> wow. Okay. Uh, it was Peter. Uh, oh. Why did they do that? I want. That's weird. Uh, it was oh. Peter Brower's girlfriend that helped him land a role on Friday the Thirteenth after recently being written off the show Love of Life. Uh, Brower moved back to Connecticut to look for work, learning that his girlfriend was working as an assistant director for Friday the Thirteenth. Brower asked about any openings. Uh, initially told casting was looking for big stars to fill the role of Steve Christie. It was not until Steve Cunningham dropped by to deliver a message to Brower's girlfriend and saw him working in a garden that Brower was hired. You look good with your shirt off. You're hired. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Now, here, hold this axe and try and get this stump out. Right. All we need you to do is walk around <laughs> with your shirt off and boss around people for about, I don't know, 10, 10 15 minutes tops. Yeah. Not even that. Um, so let's see here. We're, let's move on to uh, Estelle Parsons was initially asked to portray the film's killer, uh, Mrs. Voorhees, but declined with her agent citing that the film was too violent and did not know what kind of actress uh, would play such a part. Shelley Winters was also offered the role, but turned it down. Hughes and Moss sent a copy of the script to Betsy Palmer in hopes that she would accept the part. Palmer could not understand why someone would not want her for a part in a horror film, as she had previously starred in such as Mr. Roberts, The Angry Man, and The Ten Star. Palmer only agreed to play the role because she needed to buy a new car, <laughs> even, even when she believed the film to be a, quote, piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Stervakis nice. uh, subbed for Betsy Palmer as well, which involved Morgan's character being chased to the woods by Mrs. Voorhees. Although the audience only sees a pair of legs running after Morgan, Palmer had just arrived into town when those scenes were about to be filmed. So that was a man that was chasing Annie through the, <laughs> through the woods, but we were led to believe it was Mrs. Voorhees, um, it, which it was. But anyways, uh, it was not in the physical shape necessary to chase Morgan through the woods. Morgan's training as an acrobat assisted her in those scenes. Oh, I didn't realize that. As her character was required to leap out of a moving Jeep when she discovers that Mrs. Voorhees did not intend to take her to camp. Betsy Palmer explains how she developed the character of Mrs. Voorhees. Quote, being an actress who uses the Slavinsky method, I always try to find details about my character. With Pamela, I began with a class ring that I remember reading in the script that she'd worn. Starting with that, I traced Pamela back to my own high school days in the early 1940s. So it's 1944. A very conservative time, and Pamela had a steady boyfriend. They have sex, which is which is very bad, of course. Pamela soon gets pregnant with Jason. The father takes off, and when Pamela tells her parents, they disown her for for uh, they disown her because having babies out of wedlock isn't something that girls do. I think she took Jason and raised him the best she could, but he turned out to be a very strange boy. She took lots of odd jobs, and one of those jobs was as a cook at the summer camp. Then Jason drowns and her whole world collapses. Uh, what what were the counselors doing instead of watching Jason? They were having sex, which is why, uh, which is the uh, way that she got into trouble. From that point on, Pamela became very psychotic and in, uh, uh, in her attitudes and was uh, determined to kill all of the immoral camp counselors. End quote. Uh, 
Um, so Cunningham wanted to make Mrs. Voorhees' character terrifying. And to that end, he believed it was very important that Pamela not act over the top. Uh, so there you go. Um, like I said, that was a... I like that. I think that's a... Um, I, I think the casting was good, but again, they weren't great actors. They didn't need to be. So, um, right. What are your thoughts on the uh, the casting here? Yeah, I I agree. I, they didn't need to be because they they weren't sticking around for very long. No. Um, I kept a kill count because uh, nice. that was fun. Uh, it was nine kills nice. that she got before she was perished. Yeah. Um, that's it. I kind of, I, well, I think I did that for Halloween as well. And anytime we review a slasher film, I think I'm going to do that just to see what the kill. So count what was the kill? <laughs> the kill count was much lower in Halloween. Uh, did I keep it for Halloween or alien shit? I can't remember. I can tell um, you. Okay. Here, here you go. Halloween, uh, kills the gas. Uh, the, um, oh shoot. The mechanic. There's one kills. Um, do we want to count a dog? It was seven. Seven. I did keep it for. I did keep it for. Halloween. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That that sounds about right. That sounds about right. Yeah. Anyway, sorry guys. Um, let's get into. Let's get into. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Let's get into filming here. The film was shot in and around uh, the township of Hardwick, Blairstown, and Hope, in Warren County, New Jersey, in September 1979. The camp scenes were. Sh- so real talk. I, I I wrote down some of these sites, like especially the the cemetery. Because, like, that was obviously, like, the real cemetery sign. Yeah. Because the opening shots when, like, she's going through town, I was like, I'm going to go there. It looks cool, doesn't it? <laughs> so, like, yeah. So, like, I wonder what it looks like to this day because now that it's, like, probably famously known for this movie. Yeah. Um, be interesting to look at. You could probably find it. Yeah, you can Google map it. Yeah. Um, the camp scenes were shot on a working Boy Scout camp, Camp Nobi. Bosco, Nobi Bosco, which is located in Hardwick. The camp is still standing and still operates as a summer camp. There you go. The cinema, yeah. cinematography in the film employs recurrent point of view shots from the, the perspective of the villain. Uh, Savini was hired to design the film special effects based on his work in George A. Romero's Dawn of the Dead. He did a great job. Uh, mm-hmm. Savini's design contributions included crafting the effects of Marcy's axe wound to the face, which is great, by the way, the arrow penetrating Jack's throat, another great skill, and uh, Mrs. Voorhees' decapitation by the machete. Uh, during the filming of the, uh, the fight sequences between King and Palmer's character, uh, Palmer suggested rehearsing the scene based on her theater training. I said to uh, Adrini that night, why don't we rehearse this scene? I, ha- I have to slap you. Because on stage, when you slap someone, you you slap them. While rehearsing, Palmer slapped King in the face, and she began crying. Uh, hmm. th- uh, that's not funny, but it is. She collapsed the floor crying. Yeah, I know. I should have laughed. Yeah. I, can't <laughs> I know. I did, too. Uh, she collapsed the floor crying, and she said, Sean, she hit me. <laughs> and uh, Palmer said, I said, well, of course I hit her. We were rehearsing the scene. And uh, Sean Cunningham said, no, 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 Betsy. We don't hit people in movies. We miss them. Uh, so there you go. 
Um, That's where I read that other. <laughs> I couldn't remember which section it was at, but I did remember. Yeah. Reading that she actually hit her. Well, there you go. Yeah. So critical response. Uh, Linda Gross of the Los Angeles Times referred to the film as a silly, boring, youth-geared horror movie. Though she praised Manfre- uh, Manfredini's nervous musical score, the cin- cinematography as well as the performances, which she deemed natural and appealing, particularly from ta- uh, Taylor Bacon, Nelson, and Bartram. Variety, however, deemed the film uh, low budget in the worst sense, with no apparent talent or intelligence to offset its technical inadequacies. I don't agree with that. Uh, Friday the Thirteenth. Friday the Thirteenth has nothing to exploit but its title. Yikes! Um, the Miami News Bill Von Meer praised Cunningham's low-key direction, but noted after building terrific suspense and turning over the audience's stomachs, he doesn't quite know where to go from there. <laughs> um, the movie begins to sag in the middle, and the expectations has built up that he has built up begin to sour a bit. Uh, okay, well, I agree with some of that. Like the movie, if you, it really goes by fast. Yeah. yeah, it's a quick 90 minutes, yeah. but it, there is a point. I do agree. There is a point in the middle that it does kind of stagnate and um, draw us out a little longer than it should. But I also feel like they did that because they had to meet 90 minutes. Right. Yeah, they had. Yes. Um, let's see. The uh, Lou Kidron uh, of the Baltimore Evening Sun referred to the film as a shamelessly bad film. But then Cunningham knows this. This is sad. <laughs> Uh, many critics, so, so they did not have a good, uh, a good, uh, review not, no good reviews coming out. Many, many critics compared the film unfavorably to John Carpenter's Halloween. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, a significant, a significant number of reviews criticized the film for its deception of, uh, depiction, depiction of violence. The Hollywood reporter, reporter, um, derided the film writing gruesome violence in which throats are slashed and heads are split open in realistic detail is the sum content of Friday the 13th, a sick and sickening low budget film that is being released by Paramount. It's blatant exploration of the older of the lowest order. See, yeah. So this did not get, um, it didn't, I was not favorable, um, among the critics. But it w- that's pretty common though with like horror films, right? Yeah. Like especially at that time where, the general, I guess, I mean, like, clearly people liked it. It made, what, $60 million? Oh, it made a ton of money. Um, yeah. Yeah. But um, I feel like that's the case with a lot of horror films is, you know, you have this whole whole slew of people that are like, eh, it's just blood. And then there's all the other people that are like, yeah, but there's also this really cool character. Yeah. <laughs> Which, you know, this doesn't exactly give us the Jason that we know, but... Every every franchise has a foundation, right? Um, real quick, let's get in. Uh, this this movie did spawn what uh, nine sequels, nine eight nine sequels, something like that, and a remake in two thousand nine. A remake and then the uh, crossover. So I think there's like twelve total. Films. Yeah. So I mean, this film is one of the. This franchise is one of the. You know, and horror is one of it's 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 up there with with the likes of Halloween. Matter of fact, mm-hmm. this franchise actually outdid Halloween. If you want to talk, if you want to really want to talk about it, um, so this this is a crucial film, and and really this 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 film could have stood by itself and still been uh, admired today, maybe even more so. Um, 
because mm-hmm. be, because of not having any sequels. But it it spawned several different sequels, like we talked about. Some of them got a little uh, uh not good. <laughs> uh, what you you don't like when Jason goes to New York? Uh, yeah, Jason takes Manhattan. <laughs> um, I didn't mind it actually, but it, it, it yeah. I think from there you're just looking for people to you're just you're just watching it for the kills and to watch Jason yeah. kill camp counselors, which we all know and love. It's an American pastime. Um, yeah. <laughs> but anyways, guys, that is Friday the Thirteenth. Did you have anything you wanted to add, James? Um, I don't I don't believe so. Okay. Okay. So that was fun. I really did enjoy the second uh, or the viewing of this last night. Um, uh, it was this. I, I had a fun with this movie last night. I forgot. Like you said, I, I will agree with some of those critics. It does kind of towards the middle. It's kind of like, okay, like this is okay. They're playing strip poker and smoking pot. Boring. And right. then, you know, but overall I did, I did really thoroughly enjoy the movie. So, but anyways, guys, let us know what you think. Uh, we'll plug our socials here in just a second. But before we get to that, we got a little bit of movie news for you guys. This is um, coming courtesy of Variety.com. This is for the week of November 7th, 2021. Uh, James, you got that pulled up? You want to go ahead and uh, take, take, take uh, it over? Yeah, I got I'm I'm gonna do the Eternals. Go for it. Uh, I want to see that movie. I do too. <laughs> but there's two two article headlines here. They have two different numbers. Not sure why I haven't opened them yet. But the first one says the box office of Eternals reigns supreme with 71 million debut and 161.7 million global box office numbers. Um, I find that impressive. Not even shocked at the least because Marvel movies reign supreme these days. They do. Um, I'm going to crack one open here, actually. Go for it. See, maybe. Just kidding. Okay, there it goes. <laughs> uh, I was just going to skim through real quick and see what I can see. Um, let's see. It says it's 71 debut. El Shy. Uh, they projected 75 to 80 million. So they fell short of their goal that they wanted. But I mean, shoot. <laughs> Like $70 million for a debut film is pretty If we weren't in a pandemic still, this film would have, would have totally, it would have been way, it would have been way over those numbers. So to make that in, 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 in the era that we're living in currently Mm -hmm. is fantastic. And I do want to see this movie. It looks really, really good. Um, if I wasn't sick this week, I actually was going to go on Friday, but I just, my, my throat, I'm recovering from strep throat. So you guys could probably tell. Honestly, (laughs) I can't tell, but maybe you guys can listen. That's good. Um, uh, hopefully you can't tell, uh, I've been drinking a lot of tea today. I popped two, um, lozenges during this podcast (laughs) to try and keep that throat nice and nice and lubed. Um, yeah, so I wanted to go earlier this week because it came out this week, I believe. Friday. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, and I just I didn't have. Yeah. I just didn't, I didn't want to put other people at risk, uh, but, not knowing if I'm still contagious or not. Yeah, yeah. I haven't ran a fever in a few days, which they say fever free. Good. Right. Well, you Probably. did good, kid. You yeah. did good. <laughs> um, we could kind of skip over the rest. I'm looking down. There's really no other, you know, big it looks big like things. It's all Marvel news. Yeah. Um. I will add this then, since there's not another variety. Sure. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I went out west to Oregon, hanging out with a buddy. And while I was out there, I saw Dune in theaters. Mm. And I will say, as a person who's not seen the original 
had no idea about the books. Like I knew that this world existed, but not really. And I, I just want to say that watching that movie made me want more. Like I'm craving more. I know that it's a part one of a part two series. Um, I know that they greenlit part two. I'm excited. I want to read the books, but I'm waiting until I finish the current series I'm reading, which is the gunslinger, um, or the dark tower rather. But, uh, yeah, that was a good movie. And I, I heard negative reviews before. I heard four negative reviews. All four people had, these were like third party reviews from a, another source. But this person said that the four people that he had heard from said that they couldn't hear the dialogue over the audio of like the sound mix. Mm. And I don't know if those people just have like hearing problems or what, but like it, I could hear it just fine. Um, I want to rewatch it from home because you can watch like it's on HBO Max, but I also saw it in theaters. And I did that because I want to compare those experiences because maybe like those people watched from home and they have a bad sound mix at home. And I could see that being like a problem, but it was a good film. I recommend watching Dune if you haven't. Yeah, I have not seen that yet. Um, I I don't know anything really about I, I didn't see the original. I haven't read the books, so I'm going to go in this completely blind. And, um, I know this is a remake or whatever, so I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see it, um, as well. So I'll have to catch that on HBO max, but I do want to go see the Eternals. Um, I know they, the director has said that they took a very, a big inspiration from Zack Snyder and what he mm. did with, uh, Man of Steel. So, um, I'm anxious to see it. It's getting good reviews. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, um, I'm going to check out Dune. So guys, there you go. There's a couple of movies you can also check out, um, that, uh, you should be able to do now, but that's it guys. That's all we know. And we're going to, we're going to go ahead and plug some socials now. And, uh, James, go ahead. Yeah. First, I just wanted to say that our intro and outro music is, uh, created by our good friend, Daniel Frazier. And uh, you can check him out on Instagram. It's uh, K-O spying on him. And it's K-V-Y-O-S-P-Y-I-N-O-N-E-E-M over on Instagram. And uh, he has a link to his Spotify on the tree. You can check him out on YouTube, Apple, all that good stuff. He makes quality beats. And uh, I, I love the music. Yeah. <clears throat> We hope you guys do too. Um, Daniel, thank you so much, man. Yeah. And then uh, I'll go ahead and while I'm at it, if you want to, you can go ahead and plug our um, our podcast stuff. Yeah. Uh, so we're on we're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. Just, just go to your search bar, type in Box Office Invaders Podcast. You'll find us. We're right there. We're also on Twitter. If you want to find us on Twitter, just type in Box Office Invaders Podcast. Anywhere you get your social medias. I think we're on Facebook. We're just on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, I believe, right? I think yeah. so. <laughs> and if we're, if we're not on Twitter, we can be on Twitter. It's not a big deal. Yes. We are. Um, we are. If you're listening to this, you've obviously found a place that we're on. But we're on Spotify. We're on Google Podcast. We're also on the Anchor app. Hopefully soon to be on Apple Podcast as well. Yeah. Yes. Um, and uh, we, we love you, Apple, but you guys really need to like, pick it up. Yeah, please, please, please. We would love for to, to, yeah. to be a part. I've, yes. I've heard that that's been a big thing, though. It's like they're the hardest one to get into, and I, I think it has something to do with they want to have like a good 
backlog of episodes. I don't know. We have plenty of episodes. I don't know what the issue is, but yeah. hopefully we'll get we'll on get there soon, it. guys. But uh, until then, you can check us out at other places as well. Um, and, um, finally, uh, I want to give up some personal, um, uh, plugins. I, I have a streaming page I do, I was doing on Facebook gaming, but, uh, Facebook is changing everything. So, uh, I am actually on Twitch now, uh, back to the arcade gaming, all one word. Uh, you could find me there. I, I stream, uh, all kinds of video games, current retro. You can check us out there. We have a really cool community and, uh, I stream five, six days a week. Um, so I'm over at back to the arcade gaming, all one word on Twitch. Uh, that's it for me, James, what do you got? Yeah. And, uh, if you guys haven't checked out his stream yet, it's a fun time. I pop in from time to time to watch. Sometimes I don't interact, but it's cause I'm working, but, um, yeah, it's a good time if you guys really like retro game. Thank you. And if you want to check me out, uh, you can go to my website, thegrizzlyartist.com. That's D-A. Grizzly is in bear. Artist.com. And from there, you can find my Instagram and my Facebook and Twitter and all that fun stuff. But yeah, that's uh, that's going to be it for us. And uh, guys, we'll be back next week uh, with another new episode. So uh, I hope you guys come back and tune in. And uh, don't forget to rate us if you can. Give us a rating. We'd love to, we'd love to hear your, uh, your thoughts. And um, that's it for us, guys. We will check you out next week. Uh, we'll see you later. See ya. Bye. Bye.